Good day, gentlemen. It's Fridays with the fellas. Glad that you are here. We're going to talk about man stuff today. How are you? Having a good week? It's Friday. It's a good day. But it's not just a good day because it's Friday, is it? It's a good day because King Jesus made this day. Therefore, we rejoice. We are glad. And we are going to enjoy this day he's made. So I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about money. We're talking about money today. So we're in Proverbs and uh, Grady says it's Thursday. Uh, Where do you live that it's Thursday? (laughs) It's Friday where I am. (laughs) Anyway, we're, we're talking Proverbs and we're in the, we come to the first verse of many verses that we will find in the book of Proverbs that uh, talks about money. And (laughs) Grady says law today. (laughs) That's funny. Yes, yes. Uh, Way base, right? Um, It it seems to me, tell me, tell me if you think I'm off my rocker here, but it seems like as Christians, we have a... um, we have kind of a skewed view of money. Uh, a we tend to have a negative view of money. It's like we we can't detach it from greed, and it, it's kind of a touchy subject. It's a we don't really talk about how much we make, and we don't we don't want people to know how much we weigh, we make. We don't really want to know. Uh, how much other people make? Well, maybe we want to know, but we we don't get to find that out so much. And we we I don't know. In the, in Christian circles, it seems like money is just one of those things. We we camp on some of the warning verses, right? Of course, we all know the love of money is the root of all evil, and you can't worship mammon. Uh, you can't serve two masters. You know, either serve one and hate the other, or that kind of thing. Uh, and we we know those verses. We camp on those verses. And especially in an age of prosperity, like the one we live in, all of us, uh, it's it's just it's a touchy subject. And even you know Jesus talking about when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We tend to take that as though Jesus meant you. Nobody should ever know who gave anything to any kind of a uh, a need, which. If you look at all the teaching in the New Testament, even I don't think that bears out. When Paul uh, collected money for the saints in Jerusalem, it sure didn't seem like they were all that secretive. It seems like he knew something. Maybe not so much individuals, but uh, people knew this stuff. When when the in Ananias and Sapphira and Acts, when when they when everybody was bringing their money and laying it down to the at the apostles' feet. In that setting, people knew how much people were giving. So anyway, my point is, I think we tend, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe your experience among Christians is different from mine, but in my experience, money is a touchy subject and it tends to be a negative subject. We, we tend to look at money the way we look at sex, almost as a necessary evil in some circles. Not, it's a little bit of an overstatement, but uh, I say this from years and years of premarital and marriage counseling. Uh, 
uh, in premarital, premarital situations, uh, when my wife and I would talk to these young couples and we discuss sex, I use my, uh, my book, God's Design for Marriage, for premarital counseling. And, and there's quite a bit about sexuality in there because I want, I want these couples to have a, a, a biblical view of it. It's so important in marriage. And as we talk about it, and my wife and I talk about it freely with them, because we, again, we want them, it should not be a taboo subject in the marriage. And so we, we need to model that a little bit. And when we ask them what their thoughts are coming into their marriage about sex, it's almost all negative. And it's because parents, you know, constantly, no, 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 no. And the church, no, 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 this is bad, bad. And, and we amplify sexual sin, but we don't really talk about the goodness of it. And what we, my wife and I have told our kids from the very beginning is sex is not bad. In fact, sex is really good. <laughs> sex is not bad. Sin is bad. And we need to know that difference. As men, we have strong sex drives. We need to understand sex is not bad. Your desire is not bad. It's sin that is bad. Well, the same thing with money. Money is not bad. Wealth is not bad. Sin is bad. Worshiping money is bad, but wealth is not bad. So here's the proverb. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your crops then your barns will be filled completely and your vats will overflow with new wine. So this is a proverb. And I'll remind you again, proverbs are not absolute statements. They are not meant to be universal. They are aphorisms. They are generally true. There are plenty of exceptions. So you can't just take this and camp on it and say, well, I'm honoring the Lord, and, but my barns are not completely filled and he's failed. Well, he, he's failed to keep his promise. The Lord treats us differently. He, he, there are exceptions to these things. But generally speaking, this is true. And it's true in both Testaments. Again, let me read it. Honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first fruits of all your crops. So that's, those are parallel statements. They're kind of getting at the same thing. Your, your crops, your produce, th that's your wealth. And in the day he's writing, that would be wealth. And Solomon says, your barns will be filled completely. Your vats will overflow with new wine. The, the imagery there is full barns, right? You, you, in that agricultural era, your wealth was largely wrapped up in, in the, the seed that you planted and the, and the crops that came as a result. And of course, you would have barns to store those crops to save up for the, the winter and, and for the times when you weren't harvesting. And Solomon is saying here is if you honor the Lord with your, your crops, your first fruits, then he will fill your barns and, and, and you'll have plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. The idea of kind of this two-tiered uh, um, press where you, you put all the grapes in the top and you stomp them down, you press them down, and, and all the juice flows down to the bottom vat. He says that's just going to overflow with, with the fruit of the vine, which becomes the, the new wine. And throughout the scripture, new wine is a sign of rejoicing and wealth and gladness and that kind of thing. 
So you can be blessed. Wealth is a blessing of the Lord. And there is a connection between our generosity and honoring the Lord with our wealth and the Lord giving us more wealth. <laughs> Grady's in a mood today. <laughs> he, he doesn't know what day it is. And now he says, uh, he's, he's got his own proverb for us. If you don't work for money, you don't eat. And that makes the wife grumpy. <laughs> you have a wife that likes food too, do you? <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to Fridays with the fellows. So she's not going to hear this, but my wife likes food. She comes by that honestly, doesn't she, Keith? Anyway, so my father-in-law likes food too. Um, <laughs> that's funny. So again, just to just so we see that this is this is a this is not a, just an old covenant thing. Now Proverbs is written in an old covenant setting, and there were very clear uh, material temporal blessings attached to the old covenant, and that's true. And we shouldn't just rip it out of that context. But it's not just a new covenant or an old covenant setting. The new covenant talks about this as well. Uh, let me just read through a little bit from Second Corinthians here. I, I'm not going to uh, just unpack this and go through every nuance because we're not studying Second Corinthians. But just let me read some of it so you get the, the context and then I'll show you what I'm getting at. So Paul says to the Corinthians, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So there's some people in need, some Christians in need, and some others have given generously to help their temporal needs. And that's the context here. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So this church was very generous. In fact, they even gave sort of beyond what they could afford to help another group of Christians. And they begged us, he says, with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So one church has great need, like they, they literally can't, they're not going to eat. They need money to survive because of persecution. And this other church that doesn't have a lot, some of them anyway, they are begging Paul to contribute to the needs of this other church. Not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That's the priority, right? You give yourself to the Lord's service. Lord, every everything I have, my whole life, it's for you. Well, then that is going to include your money. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning so that he would complete in you this gracious work as well, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So all of these things that we put in the quote spiritual camp, right? Faith and knowledge and, and all this love also be generous with, with your wealth. He says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others that sincerity of your love also. You should do this because you love your brothers who are in need. I'm not commanding you as an apostle, he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, I mean, he was the king of glory in heaven, had it all, 
yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, probably there's a play on words here, right? He's, he's not talking about them becoming rich financially, but he abandoned his place of wealth and glory, if you will, in heaven, came down here, became poor, went to the cross, so that we might have the riches of heaven, eternal life, and all that. So not here talking strictly about wealth. But let's go on. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but to desire to do it. So you Corinthians, you were the first to want to contribute to the needs of our brothers who are in need. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was readiness and desire to do it, so there may be also completion of it. So they wanted to give, and now he's saying, follow through with your desires, gather your money, and send it to the brothers in need. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So the principle here is give in accordance with what you have. Don't give beyond your means. Don't, don't take out a loan and owe a debt to take care of needs. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At the present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs. So here's, here's a key point. Th these Corinthians are rich. They're abounding. He doesn't rebuke them for that. He didn't say you're evil for that. He just says, you've got this abundance so you can supply the needs of others. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Help them survive and, and live and it may be reciprocated. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little had no lack. Interesting quote here from uh, uh, from Exodus, which we won't uh, go into now, but it's interesting why he quotes that. All right, getting into our purpose here. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus, for he not only accepted our appeal, but he was earnest. Uh, we sent him along. Uh, I need to move on here because we're going to run out of time. Uh, uh, okay. Here's where he gets to a conclusion. I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now that's an obvious illustration, isn't it? If you have a field that you're planting crops in, if you throw out five seeds, when it comes to harvest, how much are you going to have to eat? Not very much, right? But if you fill 100 acres with seed, how much are you going to have to eat? A lot, right? If you sow sparingly, if you don't sow much seed, you're not going to harvest much. You're not going to reap much. If you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. He's saying this in the context of money. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you see that? This is all in the context of money. And Paul says, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously and you'll have more and more to give to others. And then he quotes here again, he who scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. It's not only material things, but, it, but that's the whole context here. Do you see that? There is a correlation between being wise and productive in your, in your accumulation of wealth, which you can then use to honor the Lord. In this case, in 2 Corinthians, it's honor him by taking care of a church that's in desperate need. And the Lord will repay you, bless you, give you the bounty, increase your wealth so that you can be a greater blessing. Now, you may be thinking of some of Jesus' statements, right? Like this one. Do not store for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and steal and thieves break in and so on. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The point is not here about accumulating wealth. It's what you're doing, it, what your motive is, and what you're doing with it. This is not a statement against building wealth. But if you just store it up, trying to become the richest man in town, that's where it's a problem. Right? He goes on and he says, no one can serve two masters. That's true. If you serve money, then you're sinning. This is the love of all money is the root of evil kind of thing. No, you serve God. But he's not saying don't try to accumulate wealth. Then he gives this parable that we all know. Look at the birds. Uh, they don't sow. They don't reap. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Talks about clothing and, and looking at the flowers and so on. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these will be added to you. What are the these? Food and clothing and wealth. God's not anti-wealth. He's anti-greed and materialism and that kind of thing. Solomon says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your crops. Then the barns will be filled completely and your vats will overflow with new wine. Here's where I think we need to, to go with this. I think we... As men especially, I don't know how many of you have watched my uh, seven core responsibilities of manhood, but I'm convinced more and more as I read the scripture and I think these things through, I think let's take the focus off of money and put it more on productivity. We are made to produce. We're, we're made to be increasing our productivity. If you were in an agricultural area, if you're back in Proverbs time or even Paul's time and you had a field and you sowed as generously as you could and you reaped, right? And you have enough to take care of yourself. Paul says, try to have more so you can be generous to others. So you might sell some of that grain and take that money and buy a bigger field. And then you have to buy more seed and then you sow more seed and now your crops grow. You have more. So you you have you put you store in your barn to take care of your own needs. And maybe you have to build a bigger barn to store up more because you want to be able to be generous with others. 
And along the way, you sell some more so you can buy a larger field and then you buy more seed. And, and if you do that, you are being more productive and your wealth grows and your ability to give to others grows. All of that is how we're designed. It's what we're to do, to rule and to do this earth, be productive. God put Adam in the garden. He said, cultivate it, guard it, protect it, make it flourish, make it thrive. And then when you see a brother or sister who, you know, is in need, you have an abundance to supply with them. And the scripture also talks about enjoying God's good gifts. Even in the passage in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul warns about loving money, his warning is for the wealthy not to depend on their wealth, not to hope in their wealth. But he adds, but God does give us all of these things to be enjoyed. There's nothing sinful about having abundance and enjoying it. Greed and love of money is the sin. Worrying about money is the sin. Worrying about what am I going to have tomorrow? What if my barn burns down and all my grain burns down in it and being consumed with worry? That's sin. But being more productive, which leads to greater wealth, is not sin. In fact, it's what we're to be doing as human beings, as men. What do you think? We've got a few minutes left here. What are you, what are you thinking about all this? Uh, Grady says, Amen. A Christian's wealth should be thankfully enjoyed, if you have it, but the lasting effect or true riches is treasure in heaven. Yeah, so, and we, we, we know that balance, surely. Again, I, I think it ties in so well to our view of sex. Can a, can a man become sinful even as sexual desire for his wife? Probably, if, if it's all-consuming and it, if it goes beyond this good thing that God has given between a husband and his wife and, and now it becomes a, a point of contention and he's greedy for it and, and it neglects other things, sure. But on the other hand, it's, it's a great gift given to us that we're to enjoy. He made it pleasurable for a reason and he made good things. We, 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 we live in this life as human beings in this world and we're, we're just overwhelmed right now with God's blessing in, in the world. Well, enjoy them. Just don't worship them. Don't idolize them. But be productive. And as you are productive, and if you're good at it, you're producing more and more and more, great. Praise the Lord for it. Honor him with it. And he says he'll give you more. Because you've proven you will use it to honor him with. And part of honoring him is enjoying it. And part of honoring him is blessing others with it. Lon says, motive is key. Never like the Christian books that speak of financial independence. Independence from who? Right. Uh, independence in the sense of, you know, Paul says, Earn enough so that you're not dependent on the giving of others. So that that's a good goal, I think. And, and I think saving up for retirement just seems wise to me. Saving for retirement, because in our, in our cultures, in our world today, there's coming a time when your employer probably won't employ you. Uh, now that age is going up these days, it seems like, and especially as the, uh, 
the birth rate goes down and, and all that, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the next couple of decades or so, uh, how it plays out. But we just live in a society where your ability to produce because of who will hire you uh, may certainly decline at quote unquote retirement age or so. Fine. We, here in the West at least, we have the ability to really build wealth and, and save it, invest it, so that when that time comes and we quote unquote retire, which shouldn't be retiring from true productivity, but you may just not find people who are willing to pay you much at that point. Well, if you've, if you've done well earlier, then you have the good things to, uh, to take care of yourself. Uh, Peter says, is saving for retirement the same as filling your barns? I don't think so. Uh, well, in the good way. Yes, in the good way. <clears throat> Store up like for so I'm not sure which way you mean, but I think yes, in the in the good sense of when it's harvest time in an agrarian culture, you store up in your barns because there's going to be times you can't reap, right? Because the way the way the cycle uh, yearly cycle works, with the way harvesting and reaping works, so you've got to eat from what you stored when you can't reap any in the fields because the fields have to be cut down and and prepare for the next uh, reap, uh, sowing season. Same kind of thing in our life cycle. And in our day, it seems like there are times when you're just not going to have much. And you don't want to be dependent on others in those days if you can help it. And you want to be able to be generous in those days when you can't work as much. So if that's what you mean, yes, I think so. If you mean, is it is it the sinful storing up, which certainly the scripture warns us against? I don't think so. I think it can be. Again, as Lon says, it's it's motive. Uh, it, it's motive and, and what do you do with it? Lon says, I'm sometimes embarrassed that we have so much relatively in retirement compared to others, but we have followed what you are now teaching. It, it, don't be embarrassed, brother. Don't be embarrassed. Enjoy it and be generous with it and be thankful, be grateful. Um, I, I know what you mean. Uh, but the Lord has blessed you. You've been productive. The Lord has blessed you. Now you're still responsible for how you, how you use it. And, you know, it's true. We don't know the, the medical bills go up. Uh, my dad lived to be 96. And, uh, you know, the last 10 years or so of his life, <laughs> lots of trips to the doctor's offices and, and all that. And, and so to have the ability to pay for that and not be dependent on others is a good thing. And be generous with it. So we're going to get to talk about this a lot more. Proverbs has a lot to say about money and wealth. And I, I just think we need to be careful and not, uh, not only camp on the dangers and the sinful use of wealth and money, but also see what the Lord says about blessing and prosperity and, and that kind of thing. All right, one more from Dale, and then I'm going to sign off here. God clearly didn't seem to have a problem with Joseph and Pharaoh, save early and often. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good, good stewardship would uh, mean saving up for the for the rainy day and the need that kind of thing. Now, like everything else, we can be sinful and be deceived by that and think I need a hundred gazillion dollars to prepare for retirement. Yeah, y you don't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, great point, Dale. All right, gentlemen, have a great weekend. We will see you next week. God bless.